Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Ezekiel, verse 37. I'm sorry, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very, very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath into you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, These bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost, but we are cut off completely. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Lord, my prayer this morning is that these thy people will see less of me and more of thee until they see all of thee and none of me. May the words and the meditations of our hearts combined be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, them bones, them bones, them. Dry bones, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. All right. Most of y'all have been to Sunday school. I can see that. All right. <laughs> Last week, we began a retelling of the greatest story ever told. It is the story of our mutual salvation, the narrative of our redemption. It is all that we were all that we are, and all that we could ever hope to become. It is the story of God's unrelenting love, which is a love that began with creation itself. At the dawn of the universe, boom, let there be light. 
God speaks and miraculous things happen. Life as we know it is brought into existence. Above and across all notions of time and space, the voice of God knit together the very fabric of the cosmos. Take note, too, of how there's never a clear picture of physical work. God does not have to engage in hard, difficult, or manual labor. God speaks, and it is so. The words of love are powerful. As we heard last week, though, even in the midst of all this love, our ancestors had some problems following the rules. Adam and Eve, not really having a concept of death, assumed that it just probably wasn't that big of a deal and ate the fruit that God said would kill them. Now here are some key thoughts and ideas from last week that I want us to ponder as we move into Ezekiel's visions this morning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, we learn that the Lord God made every tree. It's good, food, whatever. But in the midst of the garden, we had the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then God puts two people into the garden, but only commands them not to eat of this tree, saying, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the snake shows up. What on earth was God thinking by allowing this physical representation of sin to slither around and tempt God's most prized possession? As part of that conversation between Eve and the serpent, the serpent says, no, go ahead. It's cool. Surely you will not die. Does the serpent know something that they don't? What does it mean to die? Surely there was some truth to what the serpent said, but there's also truth to what God had told them. Apart from God and apart from the tree of life, was death inevitable? So all of that, and as always with all things, I would encourage you to be asking yourself this morning, what is God doing? What does this reveal to us about the heart and the nature of God? How do we live in this world of sin? Where is hope amidst the dust? What is God going to do and why? Now, if we pick up where we left off last week, the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was made. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. And as soon as they had left the garden, death was indeed everywhere. If eating fruit was the first sin, then murder was clearly the second sin, because before we even get halfway through the fourth chapter of Genesis, one-third of all creation were murderers. But our God is a God of life, not a God of death. Sin was and is our choice, and the wages of sin is death. So now what? 
Well, as chronological time went on, the ground was tilled. Boats were built. The world was flooded. Towers were erected. Covenants were made. Birthrights were stolen. Brothers were sold into slavery. Dreams were dreamed. The whole nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And through Moses, God delivers them through water, leads them into the desert for 40 years. Rules were handed down. God repeatedly intervenes to help us, feed us, and heal us. Giants were killed. Kings were installed, battles were fought, psalms were written, temples were built, and the Babylonians invaded. That is a very rough outline of all the stuff we've skipped over to get to this moment. From Genesis to Ezekiel and the history behind these necessary visions, we're kind of at a point that's just a little over a halfway point between creation and the birth of Jesus. So the Babylonians are here in this time. They had come in. This is now the second time. They had raised Jerusalem. They were scattering God's people throughout the ancient world. Rolf Jacobson describes this time by saying, For the people who were forced to live in Babylon, the future seemed a black hole into which people were destined to disappear. For over 50 years, the citizens of Judah and Israel have endured deportation from their homeland. They were losing their identity and fading into the mists of history. They were the so-called lost tribes of Israel. This exile, though, was more than just a crisis of physical suffering and identity loss. It was also a crisis of faith. Theologically, at the time, the people would have thought that some other god was more powerful than their god. Because the key symbols of their faith, Jerusalem, its temple, its people, the Davidic monarchy, have now all been destroyed. And so with all of that in mind, God reveals to Ezekiel, a prophet, the valley of the dry bones. A quick reminder about prophets. Their job is to communicate God's words to God's people. They are humans speaking with the full authority of God. God promised to Moses, for example, now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. The Lord said to Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth. God even commissioned Ezekiel by saying, you must speak my words to them. And many of the Old Testament prophetic books begin by saying, the word of the Lord that came to dot, dot, dot whoever it was, like Amos says, this is what the Lord says. An argument could be made that the words of the prophets should also be written in red. So here again, the word of the Lord. Ezekiel says, the Lord had set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry dry bones, crumbling. Having laid beneath the heat of the sun, these people had been dead for a long, long time. And here too now begins the connectivity and the process of narrative that ties everything together. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
And so we know that all creation, all life came from those waters. So to be lacking in water, to be dry, is to be separate from creation and to be separate from life. From dust we were created, but dust does not hold itself together. Only through added moisture, through water, will it take hold and maintain its shape. So for Ezekiel to note that the bones were dry is to elude to our expulsion from paradise and our perpetual mortality. It is to call attention to our sin and its punishment, our condemnation to return to dust. And so God asks, mortal, can these bones live? To which Ezekiel rightfully replies, oh, God, you, you know. I don't know, you know. Indeed, God does know. And indeed, these bones can live. And so Ezekiel prophesies to the bones. And since as a prophet, Ezekiel speaks for God and with the full authority of God, miraculous things begin to happen. Remember, the words of love are powerful. And so suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone, and there were sinews on them, tendons and fibers of muscles came forth. Flesh and skin took their rightful place on these bodies. And when I was like eight, it was gross and cool. <laughs> God speaks, and it is so. And instead of this gross zombie army, we see that life is called up from the dust with mere words. And there before the prophet and before God now stands a multitude of soul houses that were fearfully and wonderfully made. Let us not also forget that the creation of human life is a two-step process. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It is then that man becomes a living being. Of what use is a car if there is no one to drive it, no desire to use it, no engine to run it? And so Ezekiel speaks again, calling forth the breath of God. And this repetition of creation is necessary. All that God does is perfect, good, and full. God does not do things haphazardly. And God does not leave things undone. What God has started, God will see to completion. All that is dead and scattered will be reunited and fully revived. Because this life that we have been living, a life that ends in death and dust, it's not what we were made for. We were made in the image of God, perfect and good. We were made to be with God. We were made to live in the presence of God forever and to eat from the tree of life. Even the serpent knew this. But the choices that were made in the Garden of Eden severed our bonds with our Creator. We chose to separate ourselves from the waters of life, and now we toil in a dry and weary land, awaiting our death 
and our eventual descent into dust. But as I said, this is not what we were made for. It may be worth noting here now that the word religion comes from the Latin root religio, which means to bond, to bind, to re-ligament. My friends, our God is not God of the dead, but God of the living. And all that is and was resonates with the glory of this religious revelation. But since we are a people that so consistently choose sin and death over righteousness and life, we have become unaccustomed and unfamiliar with the process of creation and resurrection. Which is odd, because it is woven into every strand of the universe. The fall of humanity in the garden and our future resurrection as seen in this valley of bones is a potent and focused and compelling statement about what God has been doing and will continue to do both with all of creation and humanity. Franciscan friar Richard Rohr expounds upon this by saying that resurrection is confirmed through scientific metaphors and symbols. Where are our scientists? Hands? Scientists? Great. Okay. All right. Y'all bear with me and see if this holds true. Metaphors and symbols like condensation and evaporation, hibernation, sublimation, the four seasons, the life cycles of everything from salmon to galaxies, even the constant death and birth of stars from the exact same stardust, God appears to be resurrecting everything all the time. It's not something to believe in so much as it is simply something to observe and learn from and be taught by. As Jesus prepared his disciples for his eventual departure, he told them, In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. My friends, that day has been a long time coming. Now, it may feel as if we're getting a little off track. But if we're listening for the word of God, if we're searching for the heart and mind of our creator, then what else could be found in the midst of miraculous resurrection other than the power and glory of Jesus Christ? When the fullness of God's glory is revealed through a great rattling of bones and when sinews and flesh tie and mold themselves back together, when the four winds gather together to breathe life into the dead, when graves are opened and the whole house of Israel stands transfigured, we will see only Jesus. And when he is revealed... We will be like him. And I can't stop smiling. St. Anthony of the Desert said that God is gathering us out of all regions till he can make resurrection of our own hearts from the very earth 
and teach us that we are all of one's substance and members of one another. Jesus is revealing the goal, the fullness and the purpose of humanity itself, which is that we are able to share in this divine nature, even in this dry and wounding world. Resurrection says something about God. It says a lot about God. But it also says something about us, which is often hard to believe. It is saying that we are also larger than life. Being itself, we are therefore made for something good, united, beautiful, and perfect. And our code word for that is heaven. We were made for heaven. The risen Christ is the standing icon of humanity in its final and full destiny. He is the pledge and the guarantee of what God will do with all of our crucifixions. And at last, we can meaningfully live with hope. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said, What can be known about God is plain. God has shown it. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things God has made. When Jesus, while riding into Jerusalem, said that the rocks themselves would cry out, he meant it. All of creation proclaims the glory of God. And this is the truth, the capital T, the truth of all creation. This is the truth that guides the story of God's unrelenting love. This is the truth that brings forth life-giving water. This is the truth that reattaches limbs and revives silent hearts. This is the truth that brings the dead back to life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, one last thing. And for some, it may be the most important thing. As omniscient readers of the Bible, of God's holy word, we are privileged to inhabit the earth after the resurrection. This means that as we look through the window of Scripture, our views of prophecy, actions, miracles, and sin are all beautifully tainted by the glory and wonder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this means that we can often have difficulty in empathizing with and relating to the choices of Adam and Eve. And if we're not careful, it allows us to detach from the death and dust that accompanies our sin. It is because we know of Jesus Christ that we might be quick to identify with Ezekiel, quick to identify as prophets of a troubled age, called by God to speak on God's behalf, not realizing that we may, in fact, be the bones 
As we learned last week, we are, all of us, saints and sinners. Each of us has need of water and breath so that we may be resurrected. We know what God's final plans are. We know. I have read the back of the book. I know how it ends. And we can see it play out in all of creation every day. It is exemplified in the world around us. We know that these bones can live. But will they? That is the choice that was given to Adam and Eve. Those are the conversations that we all need to have with the serpent. Free will is a dangerous gift. But that's the choice that we get to make. Will these bones live? My friends, if you have never yielded to the holy process of resurrection, if you have not yet accepted the relentless love of our Creator, and if you have not yet felt the peace that is offered through immortality, then I encourage you to make today that day. By God's divine power, we have been given all the things we need for life and for true devotion that allow us to know God, to know the God who has called us by all glory and all goodness. This is the gift God has given us, a guarantee of something great and wonderful. It is through this gift, should you decide to accept it, that you may become sharers in divine nature itself. So let this be your invitation. If you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make today the day. Come grab me after the service real quick and say, I need to talk to you this week. You don't have to do this with somebody. You can do it by yourself, a simple prayer. Don't go another day as dust. Drink from the fountain that has no bottom. The cup that never runs empty. Be filled with life and breath. Amen.